Okay. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is the uh, meeting of the Mayor's Disability Council. My name is Sherry Albers, and I will be your chair for today. Today is Friday, September 15th, 2023. This is an in-person and vir uh, virtual hybrid meeting of the Mayor's Disability Council. This meeting is broadcast to the public on sfgov.tv. It is closed captioned and sign language interpreted. If you need any other accommodations or have difficulty attending this meeting, please send an email to mod at sf.gov. I'm trying to make sure I have this email right. mod at sfgov.org or call 415-554-6789. Thank you. The Mayor's Disability Council holds 10 public meetings per year. They are generally held on the third Friday of the month. For information about past or upcoming meetings, please visit the MOD website at www.sfgov.org slash forward slash MOD. Our next regular meeting will be on Friday, October 20th, 2023, from one o'clock to four o'clock. It will also be a hybrid meeting and broadcast on SFGov TV. Okay, we thank you for joining us today. And before we call the roll, um, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge our member, our MDC member, Helen Swolinski, um, because this will be her last MDC meeting with us today because she will be moving on to um, another adventure, which um, Helen, I don't know if you wanna publicly talk about it, but I wanna thank you so much for your service, seven years of service here on the council with us. And I wanna thank you um, wholeheartedly for your work and service to the city of San Francisco. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, everyone. And thank you, Sherry. Yes, I'm happy to report I'm, I'm moving on with a, a position with the mayor's office on disability. So I'll still be here and still be working with you all. And I look forward to the opportunity. And, um, and I appreciate all the good work we as a community, along with the mayor's office on disability in the city, um, have been able to do these last few years, many years. Thank you. Well, we're going to miss you. Thank you. Same. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, Sherry, if I'm through the chair, if I may, I just want to make sure the um, interpreting is okay. Do we need to make any adjustments? No, we're good? Okay. You're welcome. Okay. Please go ahead. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Clerk Tess, could you um, do the roll call, please? Yes. Uh, so, for roll call, we have Alex Madrid. Uh, Sherry Albers. Present. I believe Orchid Sasuni is absent today. Um, we have Denise Senha. Present. Uh, and then Helen Smolinski. Present. And that concludes roll call. Thank you so much. Okay, so we are going to um, go over the agenda, but I just want to let everybody know 
that um, we have um, a change in the agenda. Uh, the original agenda was going to include a discussion item on autonomous vehicles uh, presented by the MTA, but because of a last minute change in scheduling, um, this item will be postponed to a future agenda. Okay, so clerk, could you please read the agenda? Yes, uh, for item number one, uh, we have welcome and roll call. Um, item number two is roll call. Um, item number three is general public comment. Item number four is the co-chair report from uh, council member Albers. Uh, item number five um, is a report from the Mayor's Office on Disability um, by Director Nicole Bond. Item number six um, is the Better Market Street Accessibility Improvements Updates presented by Christina Olia from the San Francisco Public Works Department. Uh, then we'll move to a 15 minute break. Um, and item number seven, uh, we have a discussion item on the digital equity framework and plan for adults with disabilities and older adults in San Francisco, which is being presented by Karma Salma, Carla Salmala from the San Francisco Tech Council. Item number eight um, is correspondence uh, being given by MOD Deputy Director Deborah Kaplan. Item number nine is general public <coughs> comment. Item number 10 um, is an information item on council member comments and announcements. And then we'll move to item number 11, which is adjournment. Okay, thank you, clerk. And do I have a motion to accept the agenda? I make a motion to agenda. Do I hear a second? second. Great, all in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? Okay, agenda. Aye. <laughs> okay, motion passes. Thank you. Okay, at this time we're going to have general public comments. Clerk, could you please read the instructions? Yes. Uh, at this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes unless the co-chair <coughs> determines that, in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments. With respect to today's item-specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded at the conclusion of each discussion item before council discussion begins. A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. If you would like a response from the council, please provide your contact <coughs> information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request, or you can call 415-554-6789. If you join the webinar using your tablet or smartphone WebEx app, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on the raise hand button. 
We will recognize you when it's your turn. You may also use the Q&A feature in the WebEx webinar to make a comment. It is located on the top part of the video after touching the screen. If you are using a desktop or laptop computer, raise hand and Q&A icons are located at the bottom of the video screen. If you join by phone, dial star three to indicate when you would like to make a comment and we will prompt you when it's your turn. And if you're joining us in person today, um, you can either fill out a comment card that we have available up towards the front of the room, um, and then you may line up at the podium. So I'll wait and see if anybody joining, a, joining us in person would like to make a comment at this time. And it looks like we do have <coughs> one member of the public who would like to. Uh, give me just one moment. All right, whenever you're ready. Hi, um, I attended a previous meeting online and I heard um, you were uh, talking with various San Francisco department heads about accessibility and specifically about Civic Center and the Tenderloin and the sidewalks that are blocked and filled with tents and stuff like that. And those various officials said that they would get back to you on reports. So I'm hoping to hear those reports at some meeting, if not this meeting, some meeting in the future, uh, because I think it's a terrible, terrible problem, and it's getting worse. The sidewalks of the Tenderloin are impassable, and it's even worse at night. And I think that um, this commission should be um, pushing the San Francisco officials to do something about it. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. What is your name, sir? Tony Fox. Thank you, Tony. All right. Um, I don't see anybody else who's joining us in person, so we'll go to WebEx. If anybody is joining us via WebEx and would like to make a public comment, you may use the raise hand feature to do so. All right, not at this time. So that will conclude uh, public comments. Thank you. Okay, our next item on the agenda is the uh, co-chair's report, which I will give. Okay, so <clears throat> in August, the council held our annual retreat. And here are some of the topics that we discussed, um, which will be held, <clears throat> which will be on future um, agendas. Um, we will have an, uh, hope to have an update on um, accessibility enforcement for shared spaces, um, which I believe is what uh, Mr. Fox was talking about. Um, vision zero and safety uh, for pedestrians. Um, elevator outages in public housing and SROs, uh, increasing employment and promotion opportunities for people with disabilities in San Francisco, a reusable foodware initiative in restaurants, um, pedestrian safety and right-of-way access in San Francisco. So these are just a few of the future agenda items that we um, want to see happen at our council meetings. And that took up uh, pretty much of our retreat in August. 
So this is the end of my report, and I am now um, sending the uh, podium down to uh, Nicole Bond, who is going to give our um, Mayor's Office on Disability report. Thank you, Councilmember Albers. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Nicole Bond. I am the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability, and I have, um, as has been typical lately, quite a bit to share today. I encourage, if you have questions, uh, council members, please do ask. So in terms of where we are with some of the local legislation and resolutions, just a reminder that August was a recess for the board, but there are a couple items that you may want to continue to uh, monitor, uh, specifically the, uh, the uh, commemoration of the federal building and the work of Judy Human. The council is encouraged to uh, monitor this so that we can make sure an accessible, community-friendly installation can happen and does happen. Related to the shared spaces legislation, uh, just a reminder that the outdoor dining uh, program uh, pandemic permits expired on March 31st, and then there was a 180-day grace period that was subsequently approved by the Board of Supervisors, which expires at the end of September. Critical accessibility elements continue to be prioritized but the council may wish to continue. It sounds like this is one of the items on uh, your list, so that's great. Uh, in addition to, uh, my apologies, that was my scooter. Um, in addition to uh, the safe passage items that we need to continue to monitor as well. <clears throat> Related to state legislation, uh, on August 10th, the California Public Utilities Commission voted on draft resolutions which approved two AV operating autonomous vehicles operating permits in San Francisco. Right now, the city is requesting a rehearing on this item. And uh, as uh, Council Member Albers mentioned, we weren't able to agendize this for today as we were anticipating, but really want to encourage you to keep this item on the agenda. It's a very, uh, it's of, of great interest to the community, as I'm sure that you know. Um, as a reminder, the city doesn't have regulati regulatory authority over autonomous vehicles, but the California Public Utilities Commission and the Department of Motor Vehicles do, so we can still participate uh, through comment. The federal, and there's, there's more, that this full report will be posted uh, online on the MOD webpage and on the MDC webpage as well at sf.gov backslash MOD. So please do take time to read the full report. There's more um, that I'm not highlighting right at the moment. In terms of federal legislation, what I want to highlight for today is that as of yesterday, September 14th, uh, um, discrimination on the basis of disability in health and human services programs or activities, public comment information on a proposed rule uh, was posted on the Federal Register. I've linked to that uh, in this report, or you can go to federal re the Federal Register. The information is there as well. This notice of proposed rulemaking is taking comment on or before uh, November 13th. 
and really has some pretty substantive um, elements to it, including non-discrimination in medical treatment facilities, the accessibility of accessible of medical equipment, web, mobile, and kiosk accessibility in health uh, environments, and then clarifies our obligations as well around um, integrated settings and the needs of individuals with disabilities. There's a lot to comment on here, and the individuals and the organizations are encouraged to comment. Now some news and announcements. Uh, to mark the 33rd anniversary of the ADA on July 26th, I'm very pleased to report that MOD, with support from the Public Library, SFMTA, and Recreation and Parks, held a half-day ADA symposium for departmental ADA coordinators and city staff. We had over 60 in-person attendees and held plenary panels on an MOD year-in-review, and an ADA coordinator departmental best practices panel, and then we had breakout sessions on enacting anti-ableist strategies in city departments, the city's digital accessibility and inclusion standard, which you heard about a month or so ago, and also a status report on the citywide architectural and programmatic accessibility barrier removal efforts that was presented by your clerk, Tess Bartlett, as a culmination to her uh, fellowship work before she uh, came on board officially with MOD. Thank you for that work, Tess. We really hope to make some variation of this an annual thing. Mm -hmm. And the council is encouraged, if you want to know any specific update on any of these items in public hearing, they're all worthy, worthy items. Uh, thanks especially to Tess and to Deputy Director Debbie Kaplan for your work on this event. We also, as MOD, in collaboration with the policy uh, folks in Human Services Agency over the last two months, submitted comments on the non-discrimination on the basis of disability updates for housing in the 504 regulations. So what I mentioned uh, earlier is for human services and healthcare, uh, this, the one that we already submitted for is related to housing and updates. So I'm really glad to see the federal government moving on some of these, um, on these updates. And so we submitted uh, comments uh, on behalf of the city for that. <clears throat> okay, and then, uh, let me see, I lost my place, one moment. One second, one second. Okay, and then a lot of these uh, agenda items for future consideration you've already mentioned as uh, potential priorities for, um, for your upcoming agenda. I just wanted to highlight a few other ones that you haven't mentioned yet. Uh, one is it has been over a year since MOD is, has provided a public report to you. And so we'd be very happy to do that again. We provided that to the ADA coordinators, as I mentioned, and we'd be very happy to uh, repeat that and have an engagement with the public on that. We'd love to get feedback. The Accessible Business Entrance Program, 
over the last two months has had a lot of activity. We continue as MOD to work extensively with the Department of Building Inspection related to uh, citywide compliance with the, with the city's obligations within the program and also assisting with uh, efforts related to public outreach and training. The legislation is currently uh, under, there's some amendments that are currently being considered to this legislation. So the timing is good. So sometime in the coming months to consider requesting an update on this item, uh, as well as the Golden Gate Park wayfinding project. That would be another one that has had extreme interest from the public. A few more things. You've already mentioned the uh, disability employment updates as uh, one of your potential agenda items, but I just want to announce that um, with October being National Disability Employment Awareness Month, the there's uh, voluntary citywide data collection of employees with disabilities was launched today, which is very exciting. You may consider hearing from the Department of Human Resources on how this relates to their equity efforts or information on reasonable accommodation provision for employees. Consider advocating for ASL interpretation support uh, citywide and a potential citywide anti-ableism and accessibility training module. There's a lot to uh, hear from and advocate for. You mentioned also the dining reusables, which is coming up into legislation in the coming months, and the work that uh, the controller's office launched. I'll say a little bit more about that. So launched just this month, a couple of weeks ago, the controller's office has agreed to do an assessment and evaluation of city-owned and city-funded uh, single-room occupancy SRO elevator assessments. Launched in September, this assessment, which was advocated for by MOD, will be evaluating the accessibility and usability of over 110 city-owned or funded elevators. The assessment will also consist of stakeholder and advocacy organization interviews and is expected to be complete by May in the spring. And so you might consider placing this on your agenda as well. This, this isn't in my written report, but we will make sure uh, that it'll, it will go out to the MOD distribution sometime this week. The city, in uh, conjunction with the Department of Urgen Emergency Management, has also launched now uh, an okay-to-call public awareness program, which in conjunction with what we heard last month from our colleagues in emergency management and the HART team is really designed to engage with the public and encouraging them to uh, help uh, by calling on behalf of those who are in crisis, but also helps to clarify uh, when you can uh, um, call for 311 for other assistance related to a public right-of-way um, barrier removal and other resolutions. So we'll be sending some forward some more about that, and I encourage the council to keep that item on your agenda. Uh, and that's where I'll pause for now. I'll see if the council members have any questions. I do. Um, thank you, Director Vaughn. One of the questions 
Uh, it's regarding um, um, dying fun and chance accessibility. Um, yes, I, I think the classes should um, invite um, people who are in charge of that. I just want to ask if you have any um, some information that you can um, tell us today um, regarding um, more information regarding your report. No, uh, the information that I'm able to share is what I shared as part of the report. So I really would encourage you to have them come to give you a, a more detailed update if that's something that you're interested in. There are, currently are some, um, uh, we've been doing a lot of outreach and a lot of thinking about how we can continue to shape and move through the program in a way that works for people with disabilities and also members of the public. So really do encourage you to put that on the agenda if that's something that you're interested in learning okay. more about. Thank you. You bet, yep. Albers. Please. Um, about the citywide <laughs> anti-ableism training, um, <coughs> who would be um, <coughs> writing that curriculum? Um, and like, do you think in, in your mind, um, I know you have a fantastic um, presentation, um, you yourself, but um, what were you thinking? Like, where would that originate from? So that would be something that would be great to bring up if we invite our colleagues from Department of Human Resources, because mm -hmm. uh, we would likely do that in partnership with them. Yeah. So that is something that it, um, the council could advocate for. Um, and um, hopefully we can get things moving forward. It's, it, they're in very preliminary um, discussion stages right now, and so um, the time is good to, um, if this is something the council would like to advocate for, to do that. Okay, thank you, Nicole. Okay, if there are any other additional questions or if anyone from the public has questions about this report, please don't hesitate to uh, reach out to us at 415-554-6789 or you can reach us at mod at sfgov.org. Thank you very much. Okay, again, thank you, Director Bond. Okay, um, we are gonna move on to our first uh, discussion item on the agenda, and that is going to be on, a, on the Better Market Street uh, Accessibility Improvement Update. And this is going to be presented by Christina Alia from the San Francisco Public Works Department. Um, and Christina, welcome, and um, if you do have a PowerPoint to share, um, I would like to ask, request that um, if there's any um, uh, illustrations, pictures, and um, with the text, if you could be as descriptive um, as possible. 
Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Christina Olea. I'm with San Francisco Public Works, and I'm the Better Market Street Project Manager. I do have a PowerPoint presentation. Um, I'm joined today by Ben Peterson, and he's going to be sharing his screen with the PowerPoint slides. I'm also, I think, joined by Paran Maliki, who is the um, project manager from the SFMTA. Thanks, Ben. So our first slide shows a rendering of what um, better mark what Market Street will look like after phase one construction. The main what? one of the main improvements will be a complete traffic signal upgrade um, in which traffic signals will be more visible. All of the crossings will have accessible pedestrian signals and um, we'll have new curb ramps that meet all of the ADA standards, as well as um, they will be twice as wide as they are today. Um, our standard curb ramps are four feet wide, and these will be eight feet wide. Um, we're also repaving the curbs, the curb lane and the intersections. So this drawing shows um, new asphalt along the crosswalks, the intersections, and the curb lane. Christina, this is Nicole speaking. Hello. We're just having Hi. A, we're having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. You're fading in and out. And I wonder if there's um, if you're able to get closer to your microphone on your side at all. Um, so I'm on headphones and I don't think I can get closer, but Ben, do you want to try to take over the slides and see if you can have a better connection? Uh, yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben Peterson. I'm a uh, public information officer with San Francisco Public Works, uh, working on the Better Market Street project. And um, I will take um, the presentation from here. Um, so Christina gave us an overview of the project on the first slide. Um, and I'm going to uh, move on to the next slide, um, where we've uh, outlined a little bit of um, you know, the, how uh, accessibility has been going on our project thus far. Um, so far, we have um, had no reported incidents um, regarding accessibility um, in and around the, uh, the project area. Um, we have received um, some feedback about uh, certain areas of concern, um, however, uh, predominantly from uh, the owners of buildings and businesses. Um, we have not heard from, from any folks uh, with disabilities about any um, difficulties that they've had wayfinding or traversing uh, the, the construction area. But um, just a quick list of a couple past um, problem areas that have come up. Um, one uh, is outside of 1000 Market Street near the uh, Market, Golden Gate, and Taylor intersection on the north side of Market there. Um, we are doing some uh, work on the sidewalk um, and also on, around the curb. Um, in conjunction with some uh, private construction at 1000 Market Street. Um, so between those two projects, um, there has been you know, pretty minimal uh, space for pedestrians uh, to traverse at a, a certain times. Um, so we had the, uh, the, the building owner at 1000 Market reach out to us and see if there's any, any you know, additional um, space that we could create um, and, you know, to double check the uh, the ramping at, at that location to make sure that it's at the correct slopes um, and then that the uh, the path is as 
as smooth as possible. Um, similar instance came up um, on the block between 7th and 8th streets on Market. Um, we were doing a similar uh, type of work, um, replacing a lot of the bricks um, on the sidewalk and also um, constructing, constructing some new curb ramps, um, specifically um, in front of 1175 Market, which is the Trinity building, and 1155 Market, which is, um, as I understand, where MOD's offices are, as well as Lighthouse for the Blind, um, and then across the street as well at the Orpheum Theater. With uh, the extent of our um, sidewalk construction um, and also preparing for uh, the planting of new street trees, um, we did take up uh, a, a good amount of the sidewalk that um, you know, constricted the uh, pedestrian path of travel to an extent that um, it was you know, a little, little tighter than, than we would have initially expected. Um, and additionally, right at the corner of 6th and Market Street, um, there was another project that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission was uh, conducting uh, at the same time as, as our work. And one of the temporary ramps, they had to shut down uh, one of the normal curb ramps in the area to uh, give them, you know, access to a, I believe it was a vault underground or a valve underground. Um, and they constructed a temporary curb ramp kind of, you know, adjacent to where the normal one was. And that uh, slope on that temporary ramp was a little bit steeper than it should have been. Um, but uh, since that instance first came to our um, attention, it, is, it, has been, it has been rectified. This is the clerk speaking. Sorry to interrupt again, um, but control room, would you mind moving the interpretation bubble down a little bit so uh, the council members can see a little bit better? I just wondering if you can make the text a little bit bigger on the presentation. It's a little bit um, small. Thank you. Make the text bigger? I, yeah, um, I would need to uh, stop sharing my screen for just a moment and try to make a couple quick edits on my end, but it should take no more than just a moment, if that's all right with everyone. Yes, good, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, I'll be just a moment. And apologies in advance if I take a little bit longer uh, than expected, because this is also my first time using WebEx, so. You could all bear with me for just a moment. Take your time. Thank you. No worries. And we'd just like to uh, remind you to give visual descriptions about what's on the slide whenever you have the opportunity. So um, uh, Councilmember okay. Albers knows what um, is happening on the screen. Um, on that last slide, just as uh, uh, just for reference, there it was. Uh, it was only text. There was no. Um, there was no um, visual. Or, or photo or rendering on that one. Um, but I'm going to go through right now and increase the font size of the rest of our text here. Should be just a moment. While we have, this is Nicole speaking. Hello, control room. While I have a moment here, we, we, we need the, um, we do need the interpreter bubble to focus on the torso of the interpreter so it's easier to see the interpreting as well and then hopefully with the uh with the with these two things together we'll have a little bit um 
better access for folks. And I would also say, in the event of, if you're not able to um, increase the font size right now, as long as you're reading the text as it's presented on the slide, then that would be another way to uh, present the material as well in, the, in real time. Um, I, I've, I've increased the font size on, on each of the uh, rest of our slides, but my only concern is that it might now be too far down the sc people's screens and it might be in conflict with um, the closed captioning. Is that so far, we're not seeing any marked difference. I think you're okay, okay. but do okay. Um, but but do uh, cover as much of the content that's written on the slides as you as as uh, you can, and then and I'm I'm imagining this was provided to us so we can post this content, correct? Yes. Uh, we shared this with with John, uh, I believe, back Wonderful. on Wednesday. So this will also be this is also if it's not already, it'll be on. Uh, the MDC website uh, under the materials for today's meeting. Okay, please proceed. Uh, I'm going to uh, reshare my screen and let's see. All right, and you all see, uh, can, can, uh, get, I get confirmation that the next uh, slide has is showing up on, on everyone's screen. No. It never went away. Hi again, Ben. There wasn't any change. So I think your oh. previous slides are oh. still showing, perhaps? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I paused sharing, which uh, is a new feature that I Thank you. We, uh, we apologize. probably should not have tried to do. All right. Can you now see the next slide that is uh, titled okay. uh, Phase good. 1 Construction? We're good. I think we're good. Okay. We got it. Great. Okay. Um, thank you again for bearing with me. Uh, but uh, this next slide um, is just a general timeline for uh, Better Market Street Phase One construction. Um, the first um, event in this timeline is when we issued our contractor uh, the notice to proceed, which is you know after they um, got, did all their uh, pre-construction uh, you know, contract and, and, and um, preparation. Uh, measures, we gave them the notice to proceed with construction. And that happened on August 18th, 2023. Uh, the project formally broke ground in February. I'm sorry. Notice to proceed was August 18th, 2022. Our construction formally started with groundbreaking in February 2023. Uh, we will be having our first uh, temporary shutdown of Market Street uh, between August 14th and 28th, 2023. And the project is expected to reach substantial completion for phase one in mid-2024. We're projecting um, uh, May or June 2024. And just as an extra note, this project may have up to four uh, temporary shutdowns of Market Street throughout the construction period. Uh, again, the first of which being October 14th through the 28th of 2023. Um, however, pedestrian path of travel and access to all uh, buildings on Market Street will be maintained uh, during these, these periods of shutdown. Um, and we'll have more information on what exactly that means um, later on in this presentation. Um, now I'm gonna briefly go over um, our upcoming construction uh, work that we have yet to complete or are in the process of completing. 
Um, we're currently um, doing concrete uh, sidewalk work and curb ramp construction between 5th and 7th streets. Uh, right now, it's mostly taking place on the block between 6th Street um, and the Golden Gate and uh, Taylor intersection, um, mostly on the north side as of, as of right now. Um, afterwards, we're going to be moving further, uh, I guess, to northeast on Market Street up to the block between uh, 5th Street and the Turk-Mason intersection. Um, we'll also be um, installing new and improved traffic signals throughout the area. Um, and the first step of that work is to install um, electrical conduits um, at the intersections and across Market Street, which is actually one of the scopes of work that we need uh, to perform during a, a shutdown of Market Street. Um, and then after we install those conduits, we will then construct the foundations for each of these poles and then um, ultimately install each pole. And that's the, uh, the scope of work that should be taking place over the next um, handful of months until we reach substantial completion. Um, we're also, this is a, uh, the next slide is also um, a little bit more information about upcoming construction. Um, we'll be repaving the intersections uh, of Market Street at Fifth Street at the Market Street, Mason and Turk Street intersection um, at the Market Street uh, 6th Street, uh, Golden Gate and Taylor, the kind of the multi-pointed intersection there, um, at McAllister and Jones, and finally at uh, the intersection of Market, 8th Street, Brook Street, and Hyde. Additionally, we'll be constructing three new uh, curb bulbouts or sidewalk bulbouts at um, some of these north side intersections all along Market Street, specifically at the Mason and Turk intersection, the 6th Golden Gate and Taylor intersection, and the 8th Street, Grove, and Hyde intersection um, to decrease the, uh, the distance that folks need to travel to cross um, along those streets. Um, and finally, towards the end of the project, we'll be installing new street furniture, um, a few new benches, uh, new bicycle racks, and um, I think I believe it's 21 new uh, street trees of a few different species as well. Um, so now I'm going to share some information regarding uh, the upcoming Market Street shutdown. Um, sorry. Between uh, October 14th and 28th of this, of this year, uh, between 3rd and 10th Streets, um, we'll be uh, shutting down Market Street to uh, above-ground transit, including a, a number of MTA uh, bus routes as well as uh, the F-Line rail service, which will be substituted with bus service for its entire uh, entire route. Um, buses that typically uh, go along Market Street in this area between 3rd and 10th will be uh, rerouted um, predominantly onto Mission Street and uh, bicycle traffic will also be detoured um, in both the inbound and outbound directions. Um, but it's important to note that um, all below ground Muni Rail and BART service will continue to operate normally uh, during this during this period. Um, all businesses on the corridor will remain accessible um, and folks uh, using the sidewalks on Market Street will still have access to the sidewalks um, as normal. Um, additionally, all streets that cross Market um, in this area will remain open to traffic, um, that being 6th, 5th, uh, 7th, 8th, etc. Um, 
And we're expecting a few more shutdowns. Uh, the contract allows up to four of them. Um, we're expecting those to take place in early 20, 2024 as well. This next slide shows um, uh, more specifically what the impacts to mass transit service are expected to be during this, this and uh, future shutdowns. Um, following uh, SFMTA lines will be rerouted onto Mission Street uh, during the shutdown. That is the, uh, the 5 Fulton and the 5R Fulton Rapid, 6 Hate Parnassus, 7 Hate Noriega, 9 San Bruno and 9R San Bruno Rapid, um, as well as the L Terravel bus. Um, additionally, uh, the following lines, uh, the three additional lines will uh, experience some minor reroutes and stop relocations. Um, and we can also share more specifics of these um, to you all after this presentation. But the impacted lines with uh, more minor reroutes include the 19 Polk inbound, the 21 Hayes outbound, the 31 Balboa uh, outbound on weekdays, and inbound on weekends. And additionally, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the F-Line will be uh, substituted with bus service for its entire route from Fisherman's Wharf down to Castro Street um, and be detoured um, onto Mission Street um, in the construction area as well. Um, and that concludes our, uh, our presentation. And we have, of course, uh, availability to answer any questions that you might have uh, about this construction and the shutdowns, um, but I'd like to share my mine and Christina's contact information. Again, my name is Benjamin Peterson. Um, you could call me Ben if you'd like. Uh, I am the public information officer for this project, and my email is benjamin.peterson at sfdpw.org. And our project manager is Christina Alea, who is um, also with Public Works, and her email is Christina C. Alea at sfdpw.org. And um, now I'm going, going to stop sharing my screen and then um, we will have some time for questions and comments as well. Okay, thank you, Ben. Um, and at this time we are opening the floor to public comments first. Yes, so just as a reminder to the public, uh, if you're joining us in person, you can fill out a public comment card that are located uh, at the front of the room on the table, um, and you may come and line up at the podium uh, to make a comment. If you're joining via WebEx, you can use the raise hand feature, uh, and you will be recognized when it's your turn. Uh, and if you're joining by phone, you can dial star three. Um, so we will start with um, our in-person in attendees. If there's anybody um, joining us at City Hall today who would like to make a public comment, I don't see anybody. Uh, so we will move online then. And I do see at least one member of the public who would like to make a comment. Right. Um, so I see. For the sidewalks on Mission Street, can we ensure that they are kept clear during this rerouting? Because what sometimes does happen is persons with disabilities, especially persons with wheelchairs, 
I have seen them use the red zone and the green zones in the street coming off the sidewalk in order to go past. And because they're also not being able to go straight down a sidewalk from block to block, they're also zigzagging from street to street and crossing back and forth in order to have a clear uh, line going straight down. So just a suggestion during this process and any time. All right, thank you. Um, and if there's anybody else who's joining via WebEx that would like to make a public comment, you may use the raise hand feature. And I don't see anybody at this time, so that will conclude public comment. Thank you. Okay, council members, does anyone have any comments? Alex? One moment. Um, take your bed and... Um, Take a bend. I'm just curious on the part of way, regardless of if it's going to be set on Market Street or not. Can you, um, and that is on the procedure right now when it comes to accessibility. A pathway and what's your procedure going to be when it comes to shut up up Baga Street next month? And also, I want to know what your procedure when it comes to um, people on um, blocking the way on. This I work with distraction and not accessibility. If you need to repeat myself, let me know. Ben? Um, yeah, I think we have um, a few measures uh, that we're planning on. Uh, putting into place to make um, this as, as easy as possible for folks with um, mobility disabilities or other um, other additional considerations. I think um, a good first step maybe for us would be to um, kind of course pick up our correspondence with uh, Lighthouse for the Blind. I know uh, Christina and I have been in, in a conversation with Sherry on and off for the last uh, few months or so. Um, and I think um, getting um, reconvening with her and her team to discuss some potential um, additional outreach or um, wayfinding assistance I think would be a good um, you know next step for for the Middle Market Street project team. Um, as for other specifics, I, um, I need to defer actually to Christina or maybe other folks on the on the project team. I uh, really know any others. So, Christina, can you um, tell me more on the specific of not only talking about um, the magistrate in front of um, MRD, I'm talking about the whole magistrate. So, I, I did want to clarify that the closure of Market Street is only between 5th 
and eight streets. So three blocks will be shut down from October 14th to the 28th. But because of the way our transit system is set up, the detours will go beyond that area. So the detours will be between 3rd Street and 11th Street. Christina, um, just want to clarify one thing. I'm not talking about when it's shut on only. I'm talking about the current, the current situation right now when it comes to um, construction right now. So I um, just want to clarify on that. This is, Alex, this is uh, Nicole speaking. Are you referring to disability access for people with mobility disabilities? I'm not sure I'm clear of what you're asking right now. So um, I guess let, let me, let me um, step back and do one thing at a time. One question, Christina, Ben, is that my, I want to know your procedure when it comes to, uh, right now, as we speak, with the construction and when someone, were, um, like homeless people, blocking the way and also construction, what's your protocol when it comes to um, part of way. Let's start with that. Okay, let me see if I can repeat the question and see if, if I got it. I think you're asking about our procedures for keeping the sidewalks clear. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, with okay. the contraction and if someone like homeless Plugging the way. Yes. So, where our construction project is in mid market, it's a very challenging area to work. Um, it's a challenging area to just pass through. So it's it's been difficult um, having our construction project in mid market as well. Um, we some of the issues we face are continuous graffiti and vandalism. Um, people loitering on construction materials or, um, you know, hanging out on them. Our approach is to try to keep the corridor as, or the, the construction area as clean as possible. So when barricades are not needed or barriers are not needed, we clear them off the site so that people don't use them as benches or seating. Um, we also have tried to um, we've hired someone to work full time on cleanliness. So they abate graffiti, they pick up garbage, and they um, make sure that our materials and storage is organized. It, you know, we're also, Ben and I, um, as part of the shutdown, we'll be working more with uh, Urban Alchemy and the police department to help with some of the other social issues that come up around the construction zone. You know, our contractors are cement masons, they're bricklayers, they're electricians. They're not um, medical personnel and they're not law enforcement. So we have to partner with other departments and other um, partners to help with some of the other issues to keep the sidewalks clear 
and to, um, you know, uh, try to reduce any problems around the construction zone. But our focus has been keeping the sidewalks clear from construction materials and barricades or barriers. So the last slide that Ben showed was our contact information. If you see any problems, please let us know. You can reach out to Ben. We'll talk to our construction management team and we'll try to clear up any um, materials or um, supplies that might be um, creating any impacts. Thank you does for that, Does that, that answer your question? Yes, it does. It does. So the second question I have is that when it comes to shutdown, I understand that some areas might be not accessed, right? So I just want to know if you guys planning to have a signage when it comes to a specific street or sidewalk that might be uh, affected by shutdown and um, have someone always about to a different street or anything like that. So I, if I understood your question correctly, it's asking about signage during the shutdown. Yes. So we will be closing the roadway. The roadway will be closed at each intersection, um, but the intersection itself will remain open. Okay. In the roadway, we'll have barriers set up, water-filled barriers that close the block, and we'll have parking control officers and police officers to help with traffic control. Bicycles will be detoured, all transit vehicles, paratransit, and taxis will be detoured off of Market Street. Um, the side streets will remain open, so people can be dropped off on one of the side streets, um, or one of the alleys behind market. Um, the sidewalks will remain open. So the signage that will be for people walking or taking transit will direct people to the relocated bus stops. Um, as Ben mentioned, most of the transit will be detoured to Mission Street. So you'll see signage directing people from Market Street to Mission, and we'll have signage at existing bus stops that are closed and new signage at bus stops that are um, that will be used by all of the, the routes that Ben mentioned. Um, we'll also, um, we're working on having ambassadors and urban alchemy and the police department and it, the CBDs all have information as well about the detour routes and the rerouting so that you know you can stop and ask an ambassador and they can give you an answer about where to go. Um, but as Ben mentioned, all the businesses on market will remain open, the sidewalks will remain open, and the underground or BART is still open. So if you normally take BART in the underground and then you take the elevator up to UM Plaza and you need to cross the street, you may need to go to 8th Street. Um, we have asked that they close the mid-block crosswalk as little as possible. So we'll try to keep that open. 
um, for people to cross from the north side of Market to the south side. Um, but the detour for that would be to cross at 8th Street. Um, and then, you know, we'll continue to provide information to MOD, to Lighthouse, and to MDC about the closure. Um, so if you have any other questions, you can follow up with Ben or, or me. Thank you, Christina. Any other council members have questions? Denise? Thank you, Cheryl. I don't have a question at this time. Alex um, already addressed my concerns, but thank you. Okay. Helen? No, thank you. Okay. Um, I have a few um, comments. Um, I just want to reiterate that um, at any time, or clarify, at any time are the crosswalks um, across market going to be um, blocked by so construction? Most of the crosswalks will remain open. The tricky one is the mid-block crosswalk um, at UM Plaza. Okay. And so what we'll be doing during the shutdowns is we need to install traffic signal conduits under the trackway. Mm -hmm. So we'll be trenching in the crosswalks. Most crosswalks are wide enough, and there's you know multiple crosswalks at the intersections that we can route pedestrians around the trench safely and still within the crosswalk. The mid-block crosswalk, because there's just one, um, we may have to close at times. So that's the one that, that could be closed. As I mentioned, we're trying to keep it open as much as possible, um, but uh, we can also try, we can work with our construction management team to do that crosswalk first and maybe, you know, get it out of the way, finish it, and then move on to the intersections. Okay. Could you please um, make a special um, announcement or um, press release or whatever, however manner you, you would do this, um, to the public, including Lighthouse specifically? Um, for which crosswalks would be hindered or closed at any particular time because when you say we'll reroute the public, I'm charging down there with my cane and the next thing you know, I'm like in the middle of a mess. Um, and if the construction guys are busy, they don't notice me coming, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard for, I, I won't know what, what's going on as a blind person. Sure. We can, um, we will be issuing a press release at the beginning or in advance of the shutdown, mm -hmm. um, but we can try to provide updates and we can certainly keep your office up to date um, as to when they're working at each intersection. Um, right now, all we know is that they will be trenching in all nine crosswalks at Fifth and Market, Mason, Market, and Turk, Sixth and Market, the mid-block crosswalk between UM Plaza, and then 8th and Market. Right. So every crosswalk will be trenched, but we don't have specific dates, and we can yeah. definitely provide those as we get closer. And we use all of those crosswalks at any given time. So, And right. a cone or a little strip of tape just doesn't cut it in, in when I'm right up upon it. So I, I really appreciate the forewarning. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, also... Um, I'm envisioning a deluge. I know you, you, you commented about the police would be or someone would be at an intersection trying, you know, rerouting bikes. Um, that's 
in a perfect world sounds great, but I'm picturing a deluge of bikes and scooters, it's bad enough as it is, um, on the sidewalks because they don't want to go over to Mission because Mission is a mess and there is no bike lane over there. So I mean like, I, that's, that really, really needs to be strictly enforced um, because it's just easier to stay on market. And so I'm, I really need that to be stressed. Uh, I can't stress that enough to keep all the bikes and, and scooters and whoever else uh, that shouldn't be on sidewalks. It's bad enough as it is. Right, that has been a challenge for us during construction. So um, we are um, working with the Bicycle Coalition mm -hmm. to help with outreach, and then we'll work with the police department and parking control officers on enforcement. Um, because I think it'll take both the, the outreach and education as well as the enforcement. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, also, when uh, will the, um, I know we talked about this before when you, uh, you were here last, um, the placement of the f furniture, I love the term furniture, for the benches and bike racks, um, will they be towards the street, closer to the street, or, I mean, I'm trying to negotiate where the new trees are right now in front of 1155. <laughs> um, like, uh, you know, when is the furniture gonna be installed so we can, uh, you know, know when that's happening to try to find it? Sure. So we will be installing two benches and four seats. Um, one set, it's a set is a bench and two seats, will be at 1028 Market in front of the Prism. And then the other set will be in front of 945 Market at the new IKEA. So there will just be those two sets. Um, they will be between the trees within what we consider the furnishing zone in alignment with the path of gold poles. So that's kind of that area will be um, where we're adding those. And the bike racks as well be within that furnishing zone. Um, they will likely go in towards the end of the project. So okay. um, probably spring of 2024. Okay. Um, there was discussion about putting benches uh, in front of the Orpheum and then some bike racks in front of uh, the Trinity. Is that no longer happening? So we had hoped to, uh, to install seven sets of benches, mm -hmm. but given the environment on Market Street, um, we've decided to just install these two locations. Okay. So nothing in front of the Orpheum, nothing else in front of Trinity. Um, Trinity has their interior courtyard yes. and plaza with a lot of seating and they actually have um, bicycle parking in their garage so we're not going to install any bike racks or benches in front of trinity okay okay um yeah all right thank you so much you're welcome oh i'm sorry um we have another question from alex alex yeah, I was just and when I forgot, sorry about this. Um, when you're talking about installing new um, stop, stop lights, and I just want to ask to verify and to double check those um, push buttons 
for um a person uh, for uh, people doing uh, crossing the street to face the road, not the opposite. I just want to um, ask if we can double check on that. So, Alex, this is Nicole. So I believe you're asking about the positioning of the accessible pedestrian signal. Yes. And you're asking, and you're asking, what specifically about the position? No, I'm asking to Christina and Ben if to if, when they are installing it to make sure all of the uh, push buttons are faces on the ramp. Facing the ramp. Yeah. Oh, okay. The ramp. Okay. Christina, do you have anything you can say to that uh, right now? We can we can double check. I know um, Kevin works closely with our electrical engineers on the design of the push buttons. Um, Kevin Jensen, our disability access coordinator. Um, so I can double check that. Um, I think the push buttons are installed for the standard, but I don't know what that is off the top of my head. So I can I can follow up on that and get back to you. I, I, I heard from Ben that there is going to be a um, couple of new um, stop signs or whatever you want to call it is going to be installed. So I just want to ask if you could double check on that. Thank you. Yes, we can do that. All of the traffic signals will be new. Yes. So the poles, the traffic signal heads, yeah. the pedestrian countdown signals, the accessible pedestrian signals, and the push buttons. All of it will be new. So I'll check on the push buttons and the direction that they face. That's good. If it's new, everything new, so it would be good to put it in the right position. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, um, anyone from the staff from MOD? Do you this have is Nicole questions? speaking. If I may quickly, I want to yes. keep us on time and I want to be sensitive to the time that Christina and Ben have, have spent with us. Thank you so much for um, being here today. <clears throat> um, just as we're talking, it sounds like, you know, the, you know, there's a lot happening. There's a lot that will change from week to week depending on kind of where we are in our progress. And it, I'm wondering if we might want to think about, just as a suggestion, uh, an accessibility project page that would be easily easy to update that would kind of give us more immediate status uh, reports on what's happening on particular closures that might be easier to maintain than um, sending out weekly updates, which we're more than happy to receive. I'm just wondering if there's a way that we can have one place to kind of check on uh, on some of these changes, just as a just as a thought. And then, um, and I'm very glad to hear related to the rerouting that we're going to be working with uh, Urban Alchemy and the police department if we are um, hoping to reroute 
uh, buses and pedestrians in using the transit back to um, Mission between 7th and 8th, that particular block is, is pretty difficult to navigate and it's got a lot of activity that I know the police are trying to monitor, but uh, many, many people we hear do not feel uh, safe specifically on that particular block behind um, between 7th and 8th. And so um, I'm hoping that we can really think about how we're going to be assisting and, and helping to uh, maintain that safety in the, in the event that we do need to and when we do need to reroute off market. So just a note there. And then finally, um, related to uh, the paratransit and taxi detours, certainly we wanna help with um, getting any public information about that um, out as, um, as soon as we can uh, because uh, as, as you know, a lot of folks do rely on um, paratransit and taxi as paratransit um, along Market Street. So we're here to offer our uh, support and consult on any of those things. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Nicole. Um, I think the web page and accessibility page is a great idea. So we'll follow up with you on that. Um, just, I think the only thing is, do we do it on a public works? web page or on a MOD web page, and either is fine. Right, so when we've, we've had accessibility project pages for other MTA projects in the past that have linked on uh, MTA's uh, pages, and then we're happy, to, you know, we're happy to share those links out. But what, whatever we decide is gonna be the easiest, as long as the information is available in one spot, I think that would be the goal. Sounds good, thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, ben, Christina, thank you for coming and giving us all of this information. And uh, if anything changes, please uh, reach out to us. Um, and at this time, we are going to take a break and I believe I'm going to uh, make it a 10 minute break and have us all back here at 2.26. Thank you everybody. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, we're back. Welcome, everyone. Hope you had a nice break. Uh, we are going to move on and continue our meeting. Um, we now have a discussion item. Um, this is now the um, digital equity framework um, plan for a, sorry, digital equity framework, I don't know why I can't say that, um, plan for adults with disabilities and older adults in San Francisco. Um, this will be presented by Carla Suomala with the San Francisco Tech Council. <laughs> Hi, Carla. Are you are you with us? I am here today. Oh, you're here, I'm Carla. Here. Hello. Here. Good to be here, Carla. <laughs> um, thank you for coming. You need to speak into the microphone at all times. Or you are, uh, is your microphone? Is this on? one? That's no, it oh, is. Much okay, great. There we go. Better. Perfect, perfect. Um, glad everybody can hear me. I'm um, in front. Um, I am medium height, blonde. I'd like to say middle-aged. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Happy to be with you today. Um, I have a PowerPoint, and I don't know if that can be hooked up to the screen. Um, right. Um, control room? Yes, perfect. There we go, Thank perfect. You. I think you might just need to click full screen on your um, Great. computer. No, it looks like it's it's perfect. Oh, yeah, let me get the... Uh, this is Sherry Carla, and as with our last presenter, would you uh, mind uh, being as descriptive as possible with any images, and please read the text. Great, I will slide. do that. Um, I've not included any images today. <laughs> I was in a rush, um, you know, to do this. This is a little bit last minute. So next time we do this, we will have it more complete. But I'd like to tell you um, just for a moment a little bit about the San Francisco Tech Council. We have been around since 2015. We are a program of the Community Living Campaign. Mm -hmm. And our focus is on bridging the digital divide for older adults and adults with disabilities in San Francisco. We got our start in 2015 because a group of folks from nonprofits, government agencies, and businesses in San Francisco realized that no one was upholding the rights or speaking for adults with disabilities or older adults when it came to digital inclusion. And so we've been busy at that ever since. I've been with the Tech Council since 2019. It's a little over four years. And as everyone else, we did a pretty significant pivot during the pandemic. Now most things are online. Um, and we started engaging in new kinds of pilots and activities. One of those projects is what I'm here to talk about today. So we will go ahead and get started. Control room, sorry, just a moment. Would you mind moving um, the interpreter bubble just clo closer to the side of the screen if possible? just so we can see more of the slide, if that's at all possible. Yeah. 
Okay, well, we can um, proceed in the meantime. Go ahead, Carla. Sorry about that. I did it for the Zoom accessibility um, and left the margin on the bottom, but I didn't realize how high this was. Some of these things aren't as significant. This will be posted, and I will be um, speaking uh, about each slide. Where this story starts is in 2021 with the Digital Equity Act, a federal initiative. The Digital Equity Act provides, among other things, $2.75 billion to establish three grant programs that promote digital equity and inclusion. They aim to ensure that all people in communities have the skills, technology, and capacity needed to reap the full benefits of our digital economy. The big number here is 2.75 billion. This has never been done before when it comes to digital equity, and this is not specifically for infrastructure and wiring, which can be incredibly expensive. This is to actually get people connected and being able to use um, the internet. This grant, uh, or this funding has three separate buckets. The first one is the state digital equity planning grant in which all of the states divided up $60 million um, so, to, so that each one could develop a digital equity plan. That's where we are right now and I'll return to that in just a moment. There are two other aspects of this uh, funding the Digital Equity Capacity Building Grant Program, which will have $1.44 billion um, for the states, territories, and tribal governments, and a Digital Equity Competitive Grant Program of $1.25 billion. And this will fund annual grant programs for five years to implement digital equity projects. Now, where we are right now is where uh, the very first box, the State Digital Equity Planning Grant. The state of California, along with everyone else, has been building over the last year a digital equity plan. Um, let me see if I... In this digital equity plan, there have been all kinds of different activities that have gone along with it starting last winter. And um, last, late last fall, the Tech Council was approached by MetaFund, a local funder, to, and, um, and they came to us with the question, how can we make sure that the needs and voices of older adults and adults with disabilities are heard by the state as they are developing this plan? How can we make sure that we're not overlooked. And so that was our challenge. Our response, um, and they provided some funding to start this process, what has two components. Through this funding from Meta Foundation, the Tech Council agreed to inform and participate in the state of California's digital equity process from the very beginning. This involved participating in statewide meetings, um, doing outcome area work groups, um, distributing and making um, known the organizational uh, capacity surveys, 
um, bringing to the attention of organizations and government agencies throughout the city the consumer surveys. Um, there was an in-person listening session in Oakland. There were 24 around the state. Our regional uh, listening session was Oakland. And the part we're at right now, just coming up to, is public comment on the state's plan. It is not quite ready yet. We, if you look at their website, they say, coming soon. In our conversations with them, we understand this will be happening in October. So the Tech Council has participated in every step of these, uh, making sure that our organizations and our community is well aware. We had a fabulous um, show at the, at the listening session in Oakland, and through Meta, we're able to bring staff and clients from disability um, serving and older adult serving um, organizations. And so they were at, in Oakland, and they had a voice and participation, and it was noted by the state. The other part of this project is to develop a digital equity plan for older adults and adults with disabilities in San Francisco. So it has been happening at the same time as we participate in state activities. We've also been working across San Francisco with um, government agencies, CBOs, providers, nonprofits to really um, get a sense of what the needs are. So we followed a process of developing a core planning group, 19 different organizations. If you remember, um, it hasn't been too long, the Empowered Cities Technology Needs um, report that came out about two years ago, um, many of those organizations that participated also are represented in the core planning group. Um, we also set about this spring collecting and analyzing San Francisco data and on um, digital equity and inclusion. We conducted interviews with organizations. One of the things that we noted that hasn't been done in many of the studies that have been recently done in San Francisco is really assessing organizational capacity to meet the needs of clients and consumers. We did nearly 50 in-depth interviews um, to get a sense as to what organizations needed. We also did uh, short surveys as well. We um, have been soliciting feedback throughout the year and are doing so again in the next six weeks as we complete this report. I just today want to give you a brief overview of what we discovered in terms of the data and in those interviews that we did. Before I go any further, what I do want to emphasize um, in all of this is that in our conversation with the state of California and with the um, Digital Equity Plan Office, um, Scott Adams, who's, chairing, or who's spearheading that effort, kept telling us collaboration is key um, and digital equity starts at the local level. So that is kind of the underlying and overlying piece in all of this. 
We are working to build collaboration because no one organization is going to be able to come in in 2024 and just nab all of the money that is set aside for digital equity. They will be looking for collaboration and coordination among organizations for a much greater impact. Tech is like electricity. Obama said that many years ago. It is still the case and actually probably more true than when he said it. Having made it through the pandemic, we've realized that this is um, complete, more um, real than we'd ever imagined it could be with everything going online. So without tech, we can't participate in or thrive in today's increasingly digital world. It's just not possible. For people with disabilities and older adults, what we learned in our interviews and surveys throughout the last year um, and from the reports like the technology needs assessment is that there are five areas that these target populations need technology most for. They include navigating online city and government websites, things like forms, applications, and services. There are often no paper forms available any longer or even any offices to which someone can go for assistance. Accessing health um, healthcare services, so medical appointments, records, um, prescriptions, visits, all of those things, as we know, have um, taken a huge pivot online during the um, pandemic, and telehealth is here to stay. Conducting daily life um, often requires online um, access. So everything from online banking, grocery shopping, rideshare platforms, transit schedules, social engagement, communication with friends and families, classes, group and community activities, all of that, um, all of those activities have a significant online component. Accessing vital news and inf information in language is often online. We saw that again during the pandemic. Where did we turn to find out what was happening online? Without it, we were left in the dark. Finally, gaining and maintaining employment um, is a significant aspect um, of um, the digital world today. Everything from creating a resume to searching for jobs on online platforms like Indeed and Monster, the whole process is digitally driven. In addition, um, basic digital skills are required in almost every job um, that is out there today, even jobs that previously did not require them. So we're starting with needs, not with tech, and that's always the most important um, thing to do. So we start, what do we need to do? And then we ask, how do we get the tech and the access um, that will allow us to do those things? First of all, this is a brief section on data we have so much, and I tried to just trim it to the bare minimum. What we did is that um, in San Francisco, getting up-to-date data on connectivity 
on demographics, um, and especially looking at age and disability, um, is not always easy. Much of the data that is out there is not um, new, and it's hard to figure out where to get the most relevant stuff. We were able to work with um, a data scientist to look at San Francisco by zip code using the American Community Survey um, five-year estimates, 2021. We were able to focus in on the older, older and disabled adult population tables, which included age, gender, um, numbers over 60, um, the number of people who um, identify as having a disability, um, limited English-speaking households, and poverty status in the last 12 months. So we looked at all of those factors. We also then looked at internet subscriptions and device ownership. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we looked at in terms of data. In doing that, we wanted to see what broadband availability and computer access across the 27 San Francisco zip codes look like. And what we were able to do is determine which zip codes have the highest level of digital um, equity issues or inequity for adults with disabilities and older adults specifically. And we were able to do a profile of those most likely to suffer digital inequities. Here is the baseline. San Francisco residents with a disability is 10% overall. Those with a disability who are over the age of 65 is close to 71%. San Francisco residents who are 60 and over, 21.6%. San Francisco residents who are older than 65 and live alone is 11.3%. Limited English-speaking households, 10.6%. And among those, 32% speak Asian and Pacific Island languages. The population older than 60 for whom poverty status is determined is 13.4%. Overall, 9.3% of the city does not have broadband access. This does not include reliable or fast. This is just any at all. It would be much higher if we were to take a look at speed and reliability um, in those numbers. Without any type of computer device, including a smartphone, 5%. Residents with an annual income below 20,000, that is where things um, start to get real. If you have an income under 20,000, 34.6% of San Franciscans have no um, broadband or device access. In the state's planning process, they are focused on eight what they call covered populations. Two populations figure prominently among those eight. They are older adults who are 60 plus and people with disabilities. Um, and so that's kind of where our fine-tuned focus is. We found that risk factors for the like that increase the likelihood of digi digital inequity include low income, 
educational attainment of high school or less, limited en English proficiency, geography, so the lack of connectivity, resources. There are still areas in San Francisco that have dead zones, both for Wi-Fi and cellular data. Race, ethnicity, especially black or African-American, Asian or Latinx populations, and living alone and or with a limited support system. Those factors together are very good predictors of whether or not somebody will be connected and have the capacity to do the kinds of things we talked about earlier. This is just a long list, and as you'll see when this PowerPoint is published um, or put out along with the notes, um, there are 15 zip codes most at risk for digital inequity, particularly for adults with disabilities and older adults. This isn't general population. These are these two populations in particular. I'll give you a better sense of what they are on the map. This is what they look like in the red squares. So if you're holding, uh, if, if you can imagine San Francisco as a block, this is looking at the upper um, northwest, northeast corner, all right? Um, tenderline, where we are now. Um, it goes down straight south of us, all right? And then some, corner, um, some parts of the west side as well. Now, these areas are, are really significant because, oh, I'm sorry it's not showing up ideally here, but in traditional maps of redlining, a concept that came up over a century ago where populations of color were systematically um, denied housing or were barred from purchasing housing, in these areas, so it was called redlining, um, and always then having less opportunity, fewer resources, that sort of thing. That digital or that real estate redlining has translated almost perfectly into digital redlining. Those same neighborhoods and areas that have been traditionally redlined for all kinds of other things are the same ones that today suffer the most digital inequities, lack of resources when it comes to participating in the digital world. One of the key things that we focused on, as did the Empowered Cities Technology Needs Survey, was what were some of the most significant consumer needs when it came to um, digital equity? There are a couple things that I want to preface this conversation with, and we were just talking about it actually in the break, um, kind of interesting. COVID wasn't just a three and a half year blip. We're not just done with the consequences and impact of COVID. What providers across the city and community centers and organizations told us is that their clients are not the same today as they were before the pandemic. This is for organizations that work with adults with disabilities as well as for older adults. Their clients are more frail, 
both physically and cognitively, and they are more reluctant, even afraid, to participate and to come out to participate in activities. This has intensified the reach, outreach to new clients, as well as to reconnect with um, cl previous clients or existing clients who are, are fearful. The pandemic has also exacerbated the bifurcation between clients with more or less digital capacity. So the good news is that um, those with tech access already um, before the pandemic um, are doing better. They were able to um, uh, access the resources they needed to. Those that didn't have those resources have fallen further behind. Um, and um, are much harder even to reach. Those with less will continue to be much more reliant on human support to, for the, all of their daily activities and resources and services and benefits in the city of San Francisco. So this is part of the same point. The digital divide bell curve has shifted. So. Fewer today are on the wrong side of the digital divide, but those who are really are much further behind. And there are a lot of reasons for this. Part of the reason is that technology advances so rapidly that if you are already behind before the pandemic, now you're many more times behind because so many things have changed and the technology continues to advance at a rate that most people can hardly keep up with, even if you're pretty good with technology. So um, also isolation and loneliness. This is very significant in the populations that we're talking about among adults with disabilities and older adults. It's had a twofold negative effect. It's adversely affected their ability to access and use technology effectively, often without support systems, things like that. And older adults and adults with disabilities who live alone are at a particular disadvantage, we discovered um, in or from organizations that we talked to, due to the lack of a support network who can help them with basic things like connecting online, accessing telehealth, things like that. There is a list that I've got five pages of things, but we're not doing those. I'm gonna tell you three things that are getting in the way of clients doing what they need to online in terms of tech barriers. We've got internet availability. This is part of access. Um, internet affordability and quality of internet services. And finally, device access and ownership. And a really critical piece of this is not just the Chromebook, the tablet, the smartphone, um, or the computer. It is the assistive and adaptive technologies that go along with these devices to allow everyone to do what they need to do online. So first of all, those things are standing in the way. Lack of those things. Adoption. The thing that we heard almost everywhere and from everyone was digital skills. Older adults and adults with disabilities um, often lack the skills that they need to 
accomplish their goals, um, their digital goals. And so they um, may have a smartphone or a tablet, they may even have internet access, but they don't know how to do the kinds of things, they don't have the skills to do what they need to do. The other aspect that we heard again from everyone in every corner of the city is that people are not aware of the existing digital inclusion resources and services. They do not know what's out there, they do not know how to find them, and they don't know how to connect to them. There is no clearinghouse or hub or center or um, directory where those kinds of resources can be found. Finally, use. Um, we talked a little bit about those, uh, that before in terms of these kinds of things with access and adoption are getting in the way of individuals ability to use um, digital um, technologies to accomplish their goals. One of the unique pieces of this report, and I'm not going to go on for super long, I've got a few more things today. One of the key pieces that sets our study apart in our research is that we focused on organizational capacity, a piece that nobody else has really considered in depth. We ask organizations what's standing in your way of getting, um, of helping clients, and we also discovered, not discovered, we're able to document the fact that many organizations who serve vulnerable populations are themselves um, um, suffering from digital inequity. They don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the staff, they don't have the training for their staff to use technologies to be able to do what they need to do. Um, there's a lot that I could say here. I'm gonna jump, I'm, um, I wanna jump to what organizations told us they need. They said they needed funding, and not just any funding. Funding is, you know, money is always certainly at the um, core of this, but flexible and adaptable funding. As we noted during the pandemic, many grants that were out there were not suitable to a pandemic world where everything is online. And so the grants um, were kind of like putting a square, you know, peg in a round hole. Um, and what we need are flexible and adaptable sources. They have to be consistent. So many people said, oh, we had this great program, ran out of money, didn't have another funder, had to stop. Starting over, seeking out new funding and starting over again is tremendously time and um, resource um, intensive. Finally, they need funding that's sufficient to meet their client needs. Many more people need these services than in the past. Finally, diversified sources of funding. Um, really figuring out a good mix of public and private sources. Many organizations told us that, yeah, we're really dependent on, let's say, city funding. So when that goes up or down, we don't have anything else. We don't have anywhere else to go. They didn't have any sort of safety net. The other things they told us they needed are personnel, tech capacity themselves in terms of the kinds of computers and databases and free and subsidized internet for or, um, nonprofits. Some nonprofits are struggling to pay their internet bills. 
Um, they needed connectivity, all of these kinds of things, tech capacity, personnel. This is probably the biggest thing that every single person told us. They do not, and in language, they do not have the funding to pay competitive, not just competitive, living wage salaries to people who provide these services. They cannot recruit and maintain personnel that do the digital skills training, the digital tech support, all these other kinds of things. They come and they go, and sometimes they go for a year or longer without being filled. Um, the last thing, collaboration and partnership. They all said, we feel like this, we're in this alone. Um, who else is doing this stuff? Who can we collaborate with? We can't do everything. Um, and so those are the four categories that really came into it. And um, I think are, are important as we look forward to this funding. Now we have a lot of recommendations which I would like to come back at another time and go over those because they are significant and they're hefty, but they are aimed at meeting these needs. How can we better coordinate and collaborate and get our ducks in order as organizations in San Francisco to be ready for this significant funding that will be coming down the pike in 2024. 2024 is when that $2.75 billion will start flowing to the states. Some of, um, and we need to be ready to figure out how to apply for it as a community and how to use it for the greatest impact. They call this once in a generation funding. It hasn't been done before. We don't know that we'll see it again in our lifetimes. In terms of how we can all participate in making sure that funding um, is goes to the kinds of needs that we are concerned about for adults with disabilities and for older adults. The state plan that I mentioned at the outset will go up for public comment in a few weeks. Publicly getting on that site and commenting is probably one of the most important things that we can do as individuals and as organizations. It goes on public record. They will look at it. All right, so the Tech Council is, as soon as it comes out, we will go through it with a fine tooth comb. Most people don't have time. Those are very hefty reports and very complicated. We're gonna make a cheat sheet and we're gonna distribute it as widely and broadly as we can and, and ask people, if you've got 10 minutes, Go on to the site and comment in these three areas or whatever it is, and this is what you can say or something like it. So that is probably the next most critical piece. That funding, um, like I said, is a five-year window of funding of sustainable grants that will be coming down in significant numbers. So I'll take questions. There's a lot more I could say, but I wanted to give everybody the background. Thank you, Carla. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Okay, so we're gonna start with um, public comments first. Yes, um, <clears throat> so just as a reminder to the public. Yes, 
Uh, just as a reminder to the public, um, if you'd like to make a comment during this time, um, you may do so by filling out a public comment card, which are located on the table at the front of the hearing room. Um, and you may also line up at the podium to make a public comment. If you're joining us um, via WebEx, you may make a comment by using the raise hand feature um, or by dialing star three if you're joining us by phone. So we'll start with anybody who's joining us in person if they'd like to make a comment. Right. So we do have one member of the public um, and you may begin whenever you're ready. Hi, thank you, that was very interesting. Um, I thought all the background was interesting, but uh, without your recommendations about what to advocate for, it's kind of um, not very useful. So look forward to that. Seems to be basically about poverty and funding for that, but you make it sound like it's so much more. So it's kind of confusing as far, until we know what you're advocating for. I understand everyone has tech problems, but um, you know all of this uh, background doesn't leave us with anything. So that's where I am. We w excellent, and um, you're right. It is a complicated process, and we've got a set of recommendations that we will be publishing along with this, and also to make public comment on the report it's that the state is doing. So there's two pieces, right? The state report, which we're gonna, um, and which we haven't seen yet. And as soon as we do, we can send out information about that. The second piece is the digital um, equity report that we are working on is the Tech Council and all of these groups, and those will be out there widely. Um, and one of the things that when you say poverty is a big piece of that, it is, um, what they're looking at is who doesn't have access that needs access. Poverty is one of the factors, but not the only factor um, in, in terms of access. So it is not only about poverty, but resources are significant in this. And so I just want to say that the San Francisco government um, is conducting audits of all of these nonprofits and other groups they should be able to fund this already. It's not clear that why they haven't. So your recommendations are truly what will decide whether this is a worthy goal or not. Right, great. Thank you for your comment. All right, and I don't think there's anybody else who's joining us in person that wants to make a comment. Um, so anybody who's joining us via WebEx, you can use the rain, raise hand feature um, and you'll be recognized. All right, I don't see anybody at this time, so we will close public comments then. Thank you. Okay, we are moving on to council member comments and I understand, Alex, you have a comment? Yes, thank you for coming to us today. One of the things that um, I want to get clarification is that I understand that as you mentioned that property or low income is one of the factors that you are looking at, but they're the only factors. So I just want to 
get a clarification on some of the people with disability has moderate income or high income and still doesn't have quote unquote the right um, resources when it comes to technology or high-speed internet. So I just curious on how would the the committee or the kind of tech council uh, or the state environment those men gaps or those um, people. That's an excellent question. And I ha two of the recommendations that we're forming are addressed exactly at that. One has to do with information. Um, information is something that everybody needs regardless of income, um, language, you know, age, stat disability status, and um, how we get that information. We are recommending to the city and to, uh, using some of this funding that's coming, how do we create quickly, not over years, but quickly a centralized hub or directory of digital resources that are available in the city that are already there um, and continue to add to it to meet the needs where we're not doing as well. We have a lot of great stuff. People tell us over and over again, they don't know what that stuff is. They don't know where the classes are. They don't know where the labs are. They don't know where they can get tech support even um, though there are a number of those kinds of things being provided. So I think that is critical and that cuts, cuts across all um, income levels. Um, another piece of this is, um, and, and along with that, is disaster, emergency, you know, kinds of warnings and that sort of thing should be part of that information process. That impacts everybody regardless of income. And so built into this information center, we need to have much better and much more accessible ways to communicate with the population of San Francisco, those who are especially vulnerable, so that they know what to do and have some kind of connection when, and I say when because disasters hit, <laughs> the city isn't, is, you know, it happens here. And so that would be part of that package. Um, the, another, the second piece of that is advocacy and awareness, um, a much more concerted campaign. Um, San Francisco has made tentative efforts. There was an end ageism and it started to be an end ableism <coughs> campaign. It really sort of dropped off the map. We have to bring that kind of awareness back to the population. People do not know that a third of this city by 2030 will be older and or disabled residents. This is not a small pocket, it is us. <laughs> and we need to make that known. All right. Okay, I just want to follow up. And this is my last question is that um, given that information, um, 
how would you or the tech council or tech task force going forward to to do some outreach for those individuals and those um, people that you considered vulnerable because we can play along with the definition of vulnerable, but um, that, that can be subjective. So I just want to see how would you propose on doing outreach for those population. You know, one of the things that we've realized is that um, communication these days, you'd think it would be easier, but it's not. It's actually harder in some ways than it used to be before we had all these ways of communicating. And so what some of this funding that we're looking at needs to be directed towards a comprehensive communications plan that is not just online, that it has to be in paper. It has to be on people's doors. It has to be in community centers. We have to get back to some of the, um, our old school methods of getting the word out. Um, and the first piece is to get people connected. We need to get them um, internet or cellular and we, they need a device, right? And, um, so, and the way to do that is to, we've got to hit the streets. We've got to make sure that people are hearing the messages where they go, not where we want them to be. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Okay, um, Helen. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you, Carla, for your presentation mm -hmm. um, and for your good work, for the council's good work. Um, uh, at first, I was surprised to hear that organizations are suffering the same digital inequity until you explained, and then I was like, well, of course, right? It, it comes down to funding, right. more or less, right, exclusively? Usually funding, um, yeah, and sometimes red tape. Just to give you a great example, in the Department of Public Health, they have a number of clinics throughout San Francisco with no Wi-Fi access at all. Huh. Okay. This is San Francisco. These are our clinics. Yeah. They That's don't have Wi-Fi. And what's the explanation? Funding, funding, resources, okay. and sometimes, you know, and they're only often, what we were told is that sometimes they are given um, maybe a desktop computer. Well, that is no longer relevant in a healthcare setting. So what people are doing in clinics, um, health assist, they're writing down the notes in the exam room and going to the desktop to enter the stuff. Yeah. This is... This is the 1900s. 2023, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and San Francisco, no less. Okay, um, so thank you for that. And then um, I'm curious, what type of nonprofits are these or organizations? Is are they tech specific? Are they specific to people with disabilities and older adults? Those are the ones we focused on. So I should have a list up here of all of the kinds of things, but take, and they meet different needs of different communities. So for example, the ARC, Independent Living Resource Center, Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired, um, Community Living Campaign, Self-Help for the Elderly, Golden Gate Senior Center, uh, or Senior Services, Bayview Hunters Point um, Senior Services, IT Bookman, 
Um, let me see. Then there's the Booker T. Washington Community Service Center. Okay. These are every kind of center where older adults or adults with disabilities are served or are, have some kind of connection. Oh, SDA, Senior Disability in Action. Okay. Um, all of these organizations, we have tried to participate. MOD, um, throughout this process. So, so, <laughs> so thank you for that. So organizations that provide multiple services types. Right. Who provide lots of different services to their populations? Can I just follow? That's an excellent question. Before the pandemic, it was in the previous digital equity plan for the city that is just now running out. It said most organizations do not include digital equity or inclusion among in, in their, it's not central to the organization's mission. We surveyed organizations and 75% said that it was very important or important to their organization. This is post-pandemic. We've seen a sea change in that it is just part of doing business. Self-help for the elderly just eldest said, said it best. They just said, it is part and parcel of the services that people need and it cannot be treated like something separate any longer. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I thought maybe in part it was because it was um, a minimized service or a, a, an afterthought of a service when there are so many other uh, um, services that are being provided. But it sounds like it's part and parcel, like they've been saying. So that's mm -hmm. terrific. My last question, uh, Carla, is so how can this council help? How can MOD help beyond the public commenting stage that you've already mentioned? So there's a couple of phases, right? So we'll get to the public commenting. Then what we need to do is to at work, um, once this, these funding opportunities start coming, is to figure out ways that we can work together in San Francisco across some of the barriers that we've created ourselves as city government, um, as local providers, um, nonprofits, ways that we can come together to um, pool some of these resources. And what we're hoping to do, and that's what San Francisco Tech Council was designed to do, in fact, bring people together to um, you know, figure out some of this stuff. And so that is our next task, is to bring organizations together and to talk to the organizations that you're part of and saying, hey, we really need to participate in this and let's figure out how we can collaboratively do this. And I'll give you one great example. I think what we could really work together on is building what you call a device ecosystem. We have no system in San Francisco um, to get free or low cost devices like tablets, laptops, computers, along with the assistive technologies that are part of that system. Everybody needs it. It would benefit our city. It would take our old computers from our companies, refurbish them, wipe them, distribute them to people who need them, and we'd have it all here. We don't have that. Mm -hmm. Closest thing we have is Oakland. And um, you know, there's some smaller organizations that do that, but that would be an immediate win for everyone. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, thank you so much for your help. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Helen. I wanna check in with Denise. Denise, do you have any comments or questions? Hi, and thank you very much, Sherry. Um, first of all, I have comments and a quick question because I know we need to uh, move on. So Carla, thank you for your in-depth digital equity framework. 
uh, around the state plan and some of the challenges around device access and issues around training and resources for people with disabilities. Some of my other fellow council members touched on the key points as well. The first thing I'd like to see is when you get those recommendations from the state plan, and I know once MOD you would forward it to them along with your cheat sheet, I believe after you review the plan, maybe if we can get access to that, we can you know, give our comments on some of the topics that are already been addressed um, as well. I understand about some of the um, equity issues around affordability, um, the tech barriers, um, access to training for seniors and people with disabilities. The original core planning, I believe, group that you talked about mm -hmm. was my understanding that they were represented by some of the organizations that you outlined was my first question. And if there is this core committee, once the report comes out, can they allocate or work with available resources such as the council or who else would be involved in this process to identify these key issues and lay out the funding specifically needed in um, these areas? Um, the next thing, I don't know if this recommendation makes sense, is you guys go further along the process around, I think you've talked about um, device uh, echoing system, has anybody reached out to, for a lack of a better word, telecommunications companies out there as far as internet access and services around, you know, people that are limited income and accessing, accessing these services. If there's maybe representatives that the committee or other resources could work with these telecommunication issues to see if anything can be you know, donated or something in, in place of helping people that can't afford it have direct access or to some of these agencies and services in the community that currently involve it. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm just kind of throwing that out there, but that's it. Thank you. Yes, I'll answer these briefly. I realize that you need to, to move on, but to your last um, question in terms of the ISPs, the internet service providers, the Tech Council works uh -huh. and the Tech Council works very closely with them, as do many of the organizations that you all are familiar with. So organizations like Comcast, Verizon, AT&T, um, they are the top three and they um, have funded a number of initiatives um, to help, uh, you know, get people get connected. And I want to mention this really quickly. Right now, the largest internet push for connectivity is available through something called the Affordable Connectivity Program. It provides free or low-cost internet um, and there are lots of ways that people can qualify for it. Um, a third of San Francisco residents, I think, are eligible, to be honest, and um, only about a half, only a fraction of those have signed up. It's another issue, going back to what you were talking about, Alex, is outreach and information. There has been no push to get that information out there and in language. To sign up, you need to speak, you need, um, all the stuff is in English. It's a federal program. So you need people to help you sign up. You can't do it by on paper. You have to do it online. But if you don't have access. So going back to the core planning group, um, the Tech Council worked with these 
organizations to kind of set up this framework and develop the recommendations. Um, SF Tech okay. Council has 25 member organizations. Mayor's Office on Disability is one of those, along with others. And we are going to be vigilant about figuring out how to give people responsibilities for what they should be doing in terms of digital equity in the city and um, even private partners. Okay, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for your time and the mm -hmm. overview. Thanks, Denise. Um, this is Sherry, I'll try to make it quick too. Um, so the public comments, when, that, when the plan comes out, so we'll actually, the public will actually have some say in molding or maybe tweaking some of the plan that has been formulated by the state? Yeah, you know, um, I think Nicole and Debbie, and Nicole especially, you've been in this business for a long, long time. You know how these kinds of reports work. So the government, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they build a huge report. They spent all year and many millions of dollars doing it. It comes out and I'm hoping it's not going to be like a, you know, an elephant size sort of thing, but they tend to be. And each section, um, they'll focus on different recommendations for digital equity. What this public comment period allows us to do is say, are they missing anything? Yeah. Are they missing any populations or needs that aren't there? Are they missing some possible solutions that we can think of that they're not recommending? So when those funding opportunities come, um, they're part of those RFPs. Okay. So you know, so it's complicated, but yes, this is a good part to say who is missing from this table and in what way. Okay. So then when the funds are available, this plan will drive the requirements for the for the grants that will be become available in yes. 2024. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Sorry, it is really complicated as f all federal and um, government funding is. I I apologize for that, but yet you're right. It is that's how it's going to work. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Okay, staff from MOD, do you have any questions, comments? I do. This is Nicole speaking. Uh, thank you, Carla, and on behalf of the council, I also want to thank you for coming in. You had less than 48 hours notice <laughs> to do this, yes. and so thank you. We appreciate it. We had a last-minute cancellation with our previous uh, topic, so thank you. It's, it turns out this is very critical and timely as well, mm -hmm. so just thank you. Um, towards the content and towards that, what you were saying about the complexity of the federal public comment process. Do you have a sense yet, or has it been published, what the anticipated comment period will be? 30 days, 60 days? Do we I, I anticipate, based on other states, that it'll probably be 30 days, because okay. this has to be done by the end of 2023 and submitted to the federal government. Okay. So um, that's why we're kind of watching it by the day. Right, and I, I know it can get, we, I just, we just, uh, I've just spoken to my report about the Health and Human Services rulemaking. There's 60 days for that, and it's massive. So, so I just really want to make sure that we, and I know we will, coordinate together to get information out so people do have an opportunity to comment and know, you know, what to comment on. I appreciate your enthusiasm and thank the Tech Council for putting together some potential talking points for the community. That'll be, that'll be really excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a sense, um, 
um, also how the how the funding mechanism distribution will be considered. Yes. Uh, just briefly, just, I'm just trying to get a sense, like, how do we know how it's going to be dispersed in the various areas of California? Well, we don't know in terms of state. It's actually going to be statewide. So here's what's going right. to, there's two um, streams. One is statewide and um, in terms of grants. The other is federal. Okay, so then that's competitive. So you can you put your you RFP in that way, mm -hmm. but the statewide are capacity building grants, and we apply directly to the state. Great, and that's good news, and that's <laughs> at least what we're hoping for. That's great. Okay, great, wonderful. So uh, I think that's it. Well, we're happy to partner. I do want to just announce because you brought it up the um, the uh, ending ableism, anti ableism campaign is on the Age and Disability Friendly Task Force agenda. It is coming back. It's just cut paused during the pandemic. So I just, since I have the mic, I just wanted to say that because we are excited and it's it, it's getting kickstarted again. That's so it, that's really great. This is a really uh, in, a great effort to be in tandem with that. So thanks very much. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that because this is exactly the right time for that campaign as well. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I'll thanks Nicole. Anybody else? We're good. Okay. Well, Carla, thank you so much. This has been a, such a comprehensive report, and um, please keep us posted on any updates. Thank you. Okay. I want to um, pass the mic to Deputy Director Debbie Kaplan, who will now um, let us know if there's been any correspondence. There is no correspondence. Oh, okay. It's well, quick. Thank you for that report, Debbie. You're welcome. Short and to the point. Okay, so at this point, um, we are going to move to general public comments. Yes, uh, so as a reminder to the public, um, if you'd like to make a general public comment at this time, um, you may do so by filling out a public comment card that are located on the table towards the front of the room. Um, you may also walk up to the podium to indicate that you'd like to make a comment. And if you're joining via WebEx, um, you may make a public comment by using the raise hand feature or by dialing star three. Um, and you will be recognized when it's your turn. So we'll start with anybody who's joining us in person, if they'd like to make a general public comment to come up front and do so. Don't think anybody wants to make a comment in person at this time, so we'll move to our WebEx attendees. All right, I don't see anybody who would like to make a virtual public comment, so we will close the public comment period. Oh, sorry, okay, no, no webinar, okay, no web. Um comments. Okay, so at this time, um, I'd like to ask anyone um, of my council members if they have any comments or announcements. Sure. Um, Alex. Uh, I just want to congratulate um, council member Helen Wilson for her new position for the city, and we're going to miss you on the concert, and I hope that this is 
going to bring good um, adventure for you and looking forward to working with you and with the council going forward. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Alex. I echo that sentiment and see you around uh, 11.55. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Denise, any word from Denise? Um, yes, I want to congratulate Helen as well. I look forward to working with her on the council. I want to thank her for her assistance and support over the years over the various projects that we've worked on. And I also look forward to seeing her at the MOD office. And that's it. Thank you. With, may I also please say something? Yes, it, you may. This is Nicole speaking in the context of, let me move this a little bit. Um, so thank you, Helen, for your service on the council. Also for representing the perspective of parents of kids with disabilities in such a vibrant and thoughtful way. And we really will miss your perspective, but this is also, I'm gonna take the opportunity to um, let anyone watching us now know we really, we really want and need continued uh, participation in the council. We have vacancies. We want to fill them. We want as, uh, we want a, as broad representation uh, as we can. So uh, please uh, think of us, uh, co contact MOD at mod at sfgov.org. We can give you more information on how to apply to the mayor's office. And so that's my commercial. And then back to you, uh, Helen, just to say thank you. Um, you've elevated uh, the perspective of parents in ways that we haven't seen in the council in a really long time, and that does not go unnoticed, so thank you. And we are excited to continue to be working with you, um, and thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, um, back to me, and I am looking for a motion to adjourn this meeting. So, so be it. Okay. Second. Well, that's it. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, have a great rest of your day. And with that, we are adjourned. <laughs>